Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we've talked about swans, mind maps, and part one of our interview with Mark and Ruth Chitty from Umandi. Welcome to The Kindness Project. Woo. Um... Whoa. What was the woo? Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, we are still coming. I'm not going to stop because of a woe. Hello, uh, I'm joined by the world champion of spider diagrams. Spider diagrams? You mean mind maps? They're the same thing. Oh, are they? Yes. Is this is this like the conversation we had last week where you call things pick-up lines, pick lines and I call them chat-up lines? Yes. Spider diagram. I'm going to start using that. And I am joined by a girl who is really proud of her unconventional swimming. It's Charlotte Dames. <laughs> How are you doing this week? Oh, I'm doing good. That was one time. <laughs> I've never seen you, seen you conventionally swim. I mean, to be fair, though, my uh, unconventional uh, walking technique whilst avoiding a swan whilst on holiday was rather unconventional. It was like a, it was like a bit of a lobster walk, so I could sort of keep on going down the stairs but keep away from the swan. <laughs> Funny. Um, got a video of it. Uh, can you please not tell the podcast listeners you've got a video of me the swan was stuck trying to get to it? Trying to and he right, away. right. Swans, swans are genuinely scary creatures. <laughs> they're serene and peaceful when they're on a lake, um, but when they are stuck, trapped, and they're quite close to you, and every two seconds they're hissing at you. I'd pick, I'd pick most other animals over a swan to be sort of near. Not a lion. <laughs> hippo, you know what? Hippo, hippos are super dangerous. But hippos are one of those animals like swans where people go, oh, they, they can't be dangerous. They're, They're too cute. cute. Yeah. They kill more people than yeah. sharks. Yeah, don't... Don't fall, don't believe the hype. Swans are dangerous, so are hippos. Um, Sharks on. Sharks. Yeah. So, um, what was your intro again? Um, he is. Sorry, I've just deleted it. (laughs) The world champion of spider diagrams. Oh, I love a mind map. Oh, so mind maps are so useful. Do you? What do you use when you study? Revision cards. So, uh, yeah, see, I can't get used to revision cards. Give me a big bit of paper, um, some highlighters and a pen, and I'm all over it. I tried making a mind map once, and I got really confused between osmosis and active transport. And it was like, okay. uh, I tried to make a mind map, mind map once of my own mind, and it was pretty blank, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can uh, where can people... Um, or should we do a question of the podcast first? That's a question of the podcast. I love this question of the podcast. Um, it's one of my favourite questions, and I've asked it of people just in conversation quite often. If you had complete control of your time and money was unlimited, what would you spend your time doing? So no time pressure or money pressure. How would you choose to spend your time? School, friends, <laughs> charity work. Writing, poetry. Yeah. Chilling with my ukulele would be fun. Chilling with your ukulele. Not chilling with your friends, oh, chilling okay. with your ukulele. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and how long would you spend time doing each thing? Have you thought about that or not? If time is unlimited, I would just kind of do each thing. And you don't live forever. I'm just saying there's no, like, pressures on your time. 
Nobody's phoning you up going, you've got to do this. Need to give it some thought or not? Nah. How long would you spend, for example, chilling with your ukulele? I've never heard somebody say, I'm going to chill with me trumpet or I'm going to I'm going to chill with a musical instrument. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to relax with my piano. Oh, you know what? As we're talking about mind maps and studying stuff, there is a Spotify playlist. Other streaming services are available, but Spotify is the best. Um, uh, where... Uh, they're just ambient piano music, perfect to, perfect See, to. When the, when Spotify does revision playlists, it's like this is music for you to revise to, and then I'm tr- trying to revise, and this Spotify playlist almost falling asleep in my lap. And no, no, it's it's right. You need to be focused on the job, but then like they their playlist designed to where, so that the music isn't getting in the way of you thinking about the work. Yeah, so. I just go on. Um, the internet. I was going to say YouTube, but then I was like, other streaming services. <laughs> I go on the internet. YouTube, Vimeo, um, Daily MySpace, Motion. Daily Motion. MySpace, you're using MySpace anymore. I'm trying to put hip hop, hip hop revision music. And I just get up this nice, jolly little tune and I'm sitting there typing away, shaking my shoulders. I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of tempted to, as we have our introductory conversation every week just insert a website that used to be popular but nobody uses anymore last week it was Ask Jeeves this week it's MySpace next week I don't know I might pick um uh, I don't know the The kindest project podcast (laughs) anyway after that desecration of our fine work um uh, would you like to tell everybody how they can get in touch with this? Yes. Go on in. Just Google the Clanders Project. <laughs> or? Oh, uh, yes, uh, Facebook. So you can just go to Facebook and search the Clanders Project. It works. Uh, the, now, so so you're giving our listeners all the work. If Let me do this. Let me take over. Take if you'd like to... <laughs> I'm not taking the floor. Um, I don't know what to do with it. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to find us on Facebook, it's www.facebook.com holokindness. You can you can email us at holla at thekindnessproject.co.uk. Our website is www.thekindnessproject.askjeeves.myspace.com. And I, I, it's not really, but Google it, you'll find it. And then on Twitter, we are. <laughs> with a silent missing or random H um, so so that's where you can find us shall we get on with the show and have a bit of kindness news it's time for kindness news are you going to try and break your record from last week <laughs> oh god god no this is like this is too long right okay what edition you keep on forgetting, you're making the uh, jingle more elaborate, but you keep on forgetting to mention the edition. So what edition is it? Professional edition. Oh, professional edition, it's I like it. Really okay, right, so go on right. tell me. First one. Milkman performs random acts of kindness on milk grounds. Is a milkman a profession? <laughs> I, it might it very well might be. It's a job, I mean, so it's a profession. Uh, yeah, but I don't. So this is the thing. What's the difference between a job and a profession? They're the same. They're not. I don't think they are. Would you call working in a uh, 
factory or profession. Yeah. I think a profession is where you've got to continue to learn to um, deliver the service that you do. And Rob, a paid position of regular employment. Profession. <laughs> About profession. So you gave me the definition of job. You've called this kind of snooze edition professional edition, but you haven't given me the definition of professional. Professional. Relating to a belonging or a profession. Uh, or belonging to a profession. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I am a bit doubtful that Milkman would come under ah. the term profession. Go on. And engage in a specified activity as one main one's main paid occupation rather than as an amateur. Okay, so you can potentially be a professional milkman. I'll 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 concede that. Thank you for visiting Dictionary Corner on this episode of Kindness. Dictionary Dave, <laughs> that's going to be an intro, future <laughs> intro. So tell me about this professional milkman okay. and what he did. A London-based milkman has become and, oh. of a local hero thanks to his passion for helping us. Okay. Ian Bar- Beard, is that Barnwell or Beardwell? Beardwell's altruistic... Altruistic. Altruistic, okay. Okay, I get that. Altruistic streak means he's returned lost pets to their owners, found and returned a laptop after spotting it on the road, and even chased car thieves, all while delivering milk. Love it. For one particular act of kindness, where he helped to calm and reassure a Southfield resident and her and her, do- and, her and her young daughter following a burglary, the cheer- cheerful milkman won an award. Oh, cool. And was completing his milk round at 4am in December 2017 when he noticed the front door of a nearby house was wide open and all the lights were on. Are we getting just getting earlier and earlier on Kindness News? Because on last week's edition, you said these kids are getting up and going to school at half six in the morning. Suddenly the milkman's up at four. <laughs> Next we'll have a fireman up at two. He's halfway through his round. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. Um... Concerned, he rang the doorbell. He was greeted by local TV producer Sasha Rickard, who was visibly very shaken. She told him that she had woken up when she heard someone breaking into her home. Her young daughter was also upstairs, terrified. Too scared to do anything other than turn on the lights and pace around, tried to warn the burglars that someone was at home. Sasha hadn't managed to call the police. She was also yet to check whether anyone was still inside. Ian offered to wait at Sasha's door until she had done this, reassuring and calming her at the same time. Once Sasha had called the police, Ian completed his milk round but circled back ten minutes later to check on her. Oh, that's nice the into milkman it. who works for delivery company Milk and More said... <laughs> milk and More? Ha- What's the more? I want to know what the more is now. So it's, it's milk, more and more. <laughs> milk and More. Milk and More. Milk. That's all there is. Just milk. We I wonder if there... I, I reckon it's eggs. I reckon there's probably cookies in there. Because like, if somebody delivers you milk, you might want some cookies with it. I reckon milk and more. Bread? Maybe. I don't know. Lettuce. I don't know. But the problem is, if he's not only delivering milk, maybe the uh, he's delivering more, maybe his status as a professional milkman is in danger because he's delivering more than milk. And... Um, why are you looking at me like that? Like what? <laughs> like, like you're doubting my, uh, doubting my, that the validity of the <laughs> argument. I think if you're a professional milkman, all you've got to do is deliver is milk. Don't worry about the more. 
Don't worry about them all. Anyway, he said he was happy to help. If he worked for Just Milk, I'd I'd assume that his status as a professional milkman might be uh, might be more valid. But go on. He said he was happy to help Sasha and hope anyone. I'd like to find out whether the how much I uh, I'd like to find out how percentage wise how much milk he delivers and how much more he delivers because if he delivered more more than milk then it's definitely not professional milkman. What did he say to Sasha? Thank you for letting (laughs) me speak. He said he was happy to help Sasha just as he hopes anyone would have done. Yeah, great. I understand these kinds of situations can be scary and I'm just happy that she and her daughter are now safe and well. After this incident, Sasha contacted the Wimbledon depot where the milkman works, thanking him for his actions. She also gave him a thank you gift. He has since received a hero award from the company for his actions. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Who's your next professional? The bus driver. Bus driver. Bus driver. Does he sometimes drive a bus? Is the is the yeah, he's a part-time bus driver, part-time, part-time. Uh, milkman. <laughs> yeah, he's got... uh, sometimes he drives a bus. Sometimes he flies a plane. Um, no, go on. Tell me about this professional bus driver. He's a professional bus driver. Please don't judge me. Go on. Okay. Where where's he a bus driver? Canterbury. Okay. Driver known for kindness and patience with special needs kids. Kindness and patience are the virtues held by those we consider people good people in this world. And the former Theoburg resident and bus driver Dwight Miller, the, those words certainly ring true. Oh. <laughs> Miller had been serving as a bus driver for the Cedarburg School District, driving special needs kids to and from school every day, and volunteered with Friendship Ministries and is a big brother in Big Brother's Big Sister. Oh, I love that project that's have you heard the big brother project no it's like where you become a mentor it's american project um uh i don't think it's that prevalent in the uk but effectively it's where you become a mentor to uh, a young person who's not in your family but you want to help out so they they match make between kids who need a bit of uh, somebody to talk to, a bit of moral guidance, a bit of support, all of that sort of thing, um, and partner them with people who can help them. He recently retired from the role to move with his wife to Ohio to be closer to his son and grandchildren who are currently living there. Miller was uh, also recently nominated for the Be a Good Neighbour contest. Can I continue or do you... No, no I've, got, I've got something to say. He's retired. Yes. <laughs> that does... He's retired that... from being a big... Oh, he retired. He, he, did he retire from his job? I don't know. Oh, right, okay. Because if he did, that may not make him a professional bus driver anymore, mate, mightn't it? What do you think? Please, well, <laughs> she won Okay, Miller was also re- recently nominated for the Be a Good Neighbour contest by his neighbour Susan Groskopf. She won a private hometown screening of Won't You Be My Neighbour, a documentary about the life of the former TV host Fred Rogers. Better known oh, yeah. as Mr. Rogers for her, for her nomination of Miller. Many of you know of his kindness as a bus driver for Rightway because you worked with Dwight or, were, or you were a student or family member of his beloved kids. She said prior to the movie screening in Cedarburg, July 2003, that says July 23rd. Right. <laughs> bus driver doesn't describe what Dwight did and the impact he made every day. Parents knew their children were in the best hands when they left the school and when he returned them home. 
He waited probably longer than he should have sometimes for the students who just couldn't quite get going in the morning. He was a school bus driver. Right, okay, yeah. He was singing songs, decorating the bus with monthly themes and quietly mentoring them from behind the wheel. Cool. Miller was surprised at the amount of support he received at the screening from his friends, people he knew and the kids he transported and their families. The mayor had even declared the day of the movie showing Dwight Miller. Oh. That was quite a surprise. You know what? It must be awesome to get your own day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You just get your own day. Thank you for those two bits of kindness news. Not really professional edition. And we'll see you Bye. next week for we'll see you next week for more kindness news. Okay. So this week, Charlotte, we've got an interview with Mark and Ruth from Umanandi. Sorry, apologies for the pronunciation, that is shocking. Um, and Umanandi is a charity that um, uh, runs a school. So it runs a school in uh, Lusaga in Zambia, and it aims to get orphaned and vulnerable children living in Zambia um, to get an education. Their story is amazing. They're this really small little charity. And in this first part of the um, of the interview, I'm going to be talking about the education available in Uganda, how the school selects the kids, the demand for their services, and a lot more. Hi. So um, I'm joined today by Mark and Ruth. Now, Mark and Ruth, I don't want to get the... I, I, I keep on mispronouncing the name of the charity, so can you help me with that? Yeah, it's called Umanandi. Umanandi, right. Actually, even for a, a, a Cockney like me, that's quite easy to do. It's uh, I can I can live with that. Um, it's very um, phonetic. So a lot, it's Bemba. That it, Umanandi is um, Bemba, which is one of the Zambian languages for friend. Oh right, awesome! My friends, so that's where it that's where it comes from. No, I love that. How many Zambian languages are there? Seventy-two. Seventy-two, and is it is it like a is it like a dialect? Is it like an accent, or are they fundamentally different? So I think a handful of them are the same, but okay. others of them are actually completely different. And normally people speak so Nyanja and Bemba are two of the big ones, but yep. then. And most people speak sort of three or four because it depends on their tribe yep. and what area they're from. And then obviously if they move to Lusaka... A different area, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But they are really quite different languages, yeah. Yeah. Can you? Can either of you speak um, uh, any of... We have a few sort of stock phrases that get us by. So if you, <laughs> yeah. so if you stand up in front of a group of people yeah. um, uh, and say, Mulishani... That means, how are you? Awesome. Uh, I all think that's absolutely hilarious. So white people there are called Muzungu. Okay. It's hilarious if a Muzungu speaks Bemba on the Well, that... quite sad in a way. I think their expectations of us are very low from... <laughs> gotcha. I mean, it sounds like me when I go to France, to be honest, because I, I, I tend to get laughed at in, uh, in mainland Europe. Um, so, <laughs> T- tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about you two. Um, so, uh, Chris, so I'm, I, I work in um, software tech okay. um, in, in London. Uh, I've been doing that for sort of twenty years or so. Yeah. And um, what took us out to Africa um, was um, in sort of two thousand and seven. We were moving out of London okay. uh, and moving up to Birmingham. Yep. And decided that we'd go via Africa instead of okay. So that was a that was a sort of big change for me at that time. Not the most direct trip to Birmingham, Mark. I think yeah, I think you can just do it down the M1. Yeah, 
Well, well, was it, was it, uh, was my it? background is I, um, I work for an organization called the Forgiveness Project. Okay. And I run a program called Restore in prisons. Okay. Uh, as a facilitator. So my, my, yeah, so that's what I do. And what, what does, so, what, what does that involve? So our program is, um, we look at we use narrative storytelling so we look at how a lot of it is around identity a lot of people in prison have a very particular identity around um if you like their kind of criminal identity yeah and if you're gonna if you're gonna try to find a way to not re-offend part of that is also trying to find a new identity so yeah. a more social identity yeah. a more pro-social identity so we look yeah. at that a lot of it is looking at conflict and violence yeah we work with quite violent high-risk offenders yeah um yeah so, that's so, what I... so it's creating your own life story about how you want it to be in the future right instead of yeah, what exactly. what it's been in the past we can't change the past yeah we look and see if we can create a different you know because re-offending is such a massive issue yeah um individually and socially yeah and that's about making them aware of the choice that they're not defined by their past. absolutely yeah it's writing your own life story isn't it and i suppose i'd imagine i'd imagine there's an element especially if you ended up in prison that it's quite fatalistic isn't it you know i'm here uh, this is the life that's going to define me forever and how do i get out of that yeah i mean especially for young you know, young young men in London, you know, gang yeah. culture and yeah, yeah. women, but massively young men. Yeah. You know, if that's what you've been soaked in all your life, yeah. that's what all your friends are, everything, is how do you then shift away from that into a different way of living? Yeah, that's really so, interesting. How did, how did you get into that work? Uh, well, my background is actually theatre, so I, okay. I went to drama school. Okay. Um, but before I went to drama school, I worked in... I left school, went to Romania to work with street kids and yep. in an orphanage. Okay. <clears throat> and then I, I got a scholarship to a London drama school and went and absolutely hated it, which really surprised me and everyone else. Okay. Was coming out of Romania, going into that kind of slightly crazy drama school yeah. world. And um, so then I left and I ran a drama group for people with mental health problems okay. using drama as like an agent for change and for kind of cohesive cohesive uh, working together yeah yeah collaboration yeah i worked in deptford with young people doing theater running big theater uh sort of events yep and uh then from there i sort of got interested in prisons yep because of uh, a lot of the stories of young people but then I also had kids so then I decided to what I was going to do I didn't I wanted to continue a bit of kind of that sort of thing whilst also looking after my kids so I started to write correspond to people on death row in America okay and uh then I took over coordinating a prison there in North Carolina okay and um got quite involved in all that sort of thing and actually then ended up which is actually funnily enough how we ended up in Zambia I ended up writing to a guy called William Quentin Jones okay I wrote him for five years and then he was executed right and in that process I then wrote an article which I which then strangely bizarrely was put in a magazine which even more strangely ended up on death row in Zambia, in okay. the maximum prison in Kabwe. Okay. 
And a man there read the article. His name is Robbie Kalunga, and he was um, a political prisoner on death row. Okay. And he, so he read the article, and then he wrote to me. So we corresponded for about seven years. Okay. And he got three days for being executed. And there was a kind of uproar, and Amnesty got involved, and various organizations got involved, and he, and there were 20 of them, they were all had their death sentence commuted. Okay. And so when he, when that happened, when his death sentence was commuted, we decided to go and visit him and his family, because I'd also then, by that point, got a relationship with his wife. Yeah. And our kids were like four and eight. Okay. So we went to Zambia and met Robbie, which was quite an experience. Yeah. And it was at that point that we met Felix Sincala, who had this vision for uh, educating children who had no access to education. Okay. So that's how we kind of got to Zambia. What a story. That is, <laughs> that is amazing. And it's, it's, it's strange how these things connect, right? You know, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's just uh, amazing. I mean, when you were writing to the prisoners in death row, would you have imagined that would have taken, like, I don't, no. that connection's incredible, isn't it? It's actually a really beautiful thing for me because yeah. William Quentin Jones had been on death row for 17 years. Yeah. He was a young black guy in North Carolina. He, he, a horrendous upbringing, shot a man in a shop, actually, when he was 16. Okay. And ended up, so he spent basically all his adult life on death row and then was executed. And I think what, for me, is a kind of beautiful thread is that the school in Zambia that, that now provides safety and education and love and care for all these kids in this slum wouldn't be there if it actually wasn't for William Quentin Jones. Yeah. My friendship with him. So yeah. even in his death yeah. and all that he experienced and all the suffering caused by his experience, the man who died, who was killed by William, yeah. something very positive has come out of it. So yeah. I think that's a really beautiful kind of thread that runs through it. Well, it's a, it's, it's a legacy he'll never know about as well, right? Yeah, you know, it's know. just interesting. It's just yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little... Uh, a little bit about the charity then and, and practically how it helps so um felix who we met on that first trip to zambia yeah and before we we got out there he had started up this school and his original vision was um that it would be a fee-paying um primary school yeah um because the the state provision for education is is nominally there but it's okay. it's it's very, um, it's very poor, okay. uh, and there's a lot of violence in the schools and so on. So it's not, a, it's not an option that's taken up by a lot of the population. Yeah, um, and they don't have access to it in many cases. So, Mark, so, typically, typically they choose not to send kids to school, or is it? Or, or there might be, you know, there, there might be a school that, where the government will say, yes, we've got schools in this area, and actually there's one school for you know a hundred thousand people or something. Gotcha. Like that. So, so it's, you know, it's there's, yeah. So, so in, in all intents and purposes, um, education is not available. Okay. So, um, so a lot of the education is provided by fee-paying schools, but of course, you then have to have parents and families who can pay the fees. Yeah. So, Felix was in this very poor part of town. He saw um, a small boy who was selling brooms there, and he was like, "Why are you not in school?" Um, and the boy said to him, "Well, my father has died, and my mother is sick, yeah. and I have to sell brooms to get food." Okay. And so Felix said, "Well, take me to see your family." Yeah. And he went and saw the mother and spoke to her. 
Um, and she said, you know, um, can you, is it, if there's any chance you can educate my child, it, you know, it's so essential. Yeah. And Felix then went back home to the wealthier part of town where he was living and spoke to his wife, Lister, and said, we have to do something about this. Um, they're very strong Christians themselves, and, and so okay. their logic was, it says in the Bible, you must um, look after the, the widows and the orphans, and he said, so that's what we have to do. Okay. But they, they, they then acted on this themselves, and, and you know, with incredible sort of courage, and moved from their comfortable part of town and their comfortable jobs to this, you know, rather, uh, you know, crappy part of town, yeah. and set up the school on the basis that there would be some fee-paying pupils and they would support the places free places for other people okay and a week we walked into this situation about two years later and the school was still running which was great but the economics weren't adding up okay uh, getting more and more into debt and they, they did have fee-paying pupils and they were providing great education they did have free places as well but their fees were always paid late or not at all um and the, you know, they were struggling mm. so we were really struck by what he was doing um, and by his integrity and also his business acumen as well. Mm. He's a smart guy. Yeah. What, what was he, Mark, what was he doing before? Uh, he's always been in education. He's also yeah. a pastor as well. Okay. What then? Uh, was he not? No, no, okay, that since then. Um, so yeah, he's always been in education. But I mean, also the classic Zambian thing is everyone has a bit of something going on on the side. So he, his father was a farmer. Um, so Felix was always growing chickens or, you know, onions yeah. or maize. Or, he made furniture as well. That's right. He has a furniture making business. So yeah, yeah it's, there's always lots of, you know, small industry, cottage industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because there's actually huge, I think it's something like 80-something percent unemployment, formal unemployment in Zambia. But there's a, when you go to Matero, where the school is, which is kind of like a big slum, yeah. it is like a hive of entrepreneurship, of yeah. tenacity, of kind of yeah. invention and creation. You know, people are busy making stuff, selling stuff all the time. So yeah. The coffin business is rather coffin good. Business. <laughs> right, okay. There's a lot of, um, yeah, it's a really kind of thriving place, even though it sort of isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because pe yeah. people are doing what they need to to survive, I'd imagine, absolutely. right? Exactly. Yeah, gotcha. No, I completely understand that. And then, so so, so you met, sorry, what was the guy's name? Felix. Felix. So you met Felix. He told you about the school. How did you start to get involved at that point? <laughs> well, well, we went along um, to, to see the school um one day we just sort of turned up um, and they said, oh, come back the next day. Um, you know, we've, they showed us around and said, oh, come back tomorrow um, again and we can show you more. And we came back the next day and unbeknownst to us, they'd sort of prepared, the whole school had sort of like prepared this big um, uh, sort of show and big uh, welcome for us. Love it. Yeah. From the school courtyard for about, you know, most, pretty much the entire morning. And we sat there behind a school desk and watched this all going on, feeling quite sort of, you know, I mean, very overwhelmed and emotional and quite bemused. Yeah. And also quite awkward. It's, there's something quite awkward about yeah. um, about that situation, you know, especially when you look at the British colonised Zambia, which is a very complicated situation. So there was, a, for me anyway, I felt a bit awkward. Yeah. Because there was a lot of attention focused on yeah, you, right? Yeah, yeah. you could disappear a little and bit. They put, really. yeah. they put us up on a pedestal, and we're like, no, 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 no. This is, you know, we don't, we don't deserve to be here. Yeah. They're definitely quite difficult. Yeah. But unbelievably moving as well. Like, gotcha. about this whole thing was, it's utterly, and the school is an utterly joyful place. Yeah. Joyful. It's just full of joyfulness. Yeah, yeah. And yet the stories, the individual stories, are, are really quite 
horrendous in some ways. Yeah. So to be kind of faced with this sort of um, this, this these two polarized ends really of all this joy yeah. and singing and love and warmth, and then kind of the the, the reality of what these kids actually live through. Yeah. We, we took um, some school kids out there last year. Okay. Um, and um, one of the one of the kids, sort of halfway through the trip, this guy um, said to us, uh, I'm, "I'm quite confused, actually." He said, um, "They, I'm overwhelmed by how happy and joyful these children are, um, yeah. and quite frankly, they have no right to be." <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. But you're, you're right to be. They just don't. They can't. You know, it goes against all the expectations you would imagine. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think one of the things, and I know I know your your son's going through A levels at the minute, and my daughter is um, coming up to her GCSEs. And one of the things that I always try and talk to her about is gratefulness, because because yeah. one of, one of the things you just don't realise is how good you've got it, because you live oh, in that yeah. you live in that bubble of expectation that's been built by what you're used to and it's only, it's only experiences like that where you turn around and go actually I, I, I am really lucky <laughs> do you know I'm so yeah, I'm so lucky one of the kids said to us they went up so they were like 16 17 they went after they'd done their GCSEs yeah and one of the UK kids said to us oh my god I wish I'd come here before, before I'd done my GCSEs gotcha had no idea you know and there are kids in the school who have lost both parents mm. who live alone young kids our youngest is eight she lives on her own age eight looking after two younger brothers and mm. brothers yeah and you know she coming to school is the most important thing so what are you so so it's, I, 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 I didn't i didn't have this as a question but it just sprung to mind what do you think the kids get most out of attending school is it the is it the community is it the the actual learning is it um just having a something to get up for that they're going to enjoy what do you think they get the most out of i think the two main things are the um the care and the education so yeah education part of it kind of speaks for itself it's a school yeah if you're not educated um it's tougher yeah. a lot worse than if you are educated yeah um, so that's that's really giving them an opportunity to, to make more of their lives and to escape the poverty they're in yeah um, so that's kind of the kind of more sort of objectively obvious part of it the other part of it that is less obvious and in fact I think is more important is the care side of it they yeah. because they're living in the situations where you know particularly these children that are in childhood families mm. they've got no one who's looking out for them yeah gotcha school they step in when they step through the school gates. They step into an environment where there are adults who actually give a shit about them. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Who know who they are and um, who uh, do, you know, are invested in their future and call them by their name and say, have you done this and how are you yeah. doing with that? And yeah. that level of care uh, is, is phenomenal for their sense of self as yeah. they grow up. Um, and you know... I, I, I completely agree. It's fundamentally important, and just somebody turning around and putting an arm around your shoulder and going, "You're right," is just yeah, so important. And also, I think you know a lot of these kids that when you lose both parents, mm. you then somehow live in a sort of a vacuum in a way. Like, what's your history? No one holds your history. Yeah. And so the school is part of that because they remember the kids. They yeah. they can they also remember the parents. So I yeah. think it gives them a sense of 
sort of belonging and community and self in a way that they would mm. they would be so cut loose from that if they were just on the streets. And the streets are really dangerous. So yeah. for young girls particularly, the school is an actual physical safety net. Yeah, gotcha. Safe. And I think that's a really, and that's, I mean, Felix and Lister and uh, Gertrude, who's the other woman who heads up the team there, and all the teachers, you know, their level of care for these kids. So there's a girl at the moment who um, is pregnant. She's 15? Yeah. She's 15, pregnant by an old, an older, much older, like in his 50s, I think. Okay. Pastor in a church. Right. And um, Felix and all the team, the, the their fight for this girl is absolutely phenomenal. Like what they're because that's very culturally and politically kind of tricky. Yeah, gotcha. You know, and, and he's denying it and all this stuff. And Felix is like a kind of a a kind of warrior for this, and he's like, you've got to take responsibility. You know, all yeah. you know, very very strong. Yeah. So when she gives birth, the teachers will look after. There's the people around her. Yeah, yeah. School, you know, that's essential. You know? Yeah, gotcha. On your side and kind of, you know, willing to take up your your. Um, again, story. this is a society that has no um, no social, no state social care. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, so so family is everything, and yeah. you, all of that, all of that, all those needs are picked up by the family. And mm. if you don't have a family, then you're then you're stuck. And I'd imagine, I'd imagine, with education comes sort of increased expectation as well, like sort of what the kids expect to themselves. Absolutely, I think that's a really brilliant thing. Yeah, so if you, you know, if you have someone behind you asking, what do you want to do in your life? Yeah. What are you? What's kind of burning in you? Yeah then you have something to aspire for. Which, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, if you don't have that, I think it can all, you know, your your expectations of who you are and what you can achieve in your life become very, very, very narrow, yeah. I think. Yeah, again, it's informed by the people you, you, you connect with, isn't it? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. If you're not connecting with people who sort of not demand but sort of expect higher aspirations of you it's going to be tough to uh, to, to meet those expectations so t- just tell i know you i know you sort of touched on the state edu- ed- education system in zambia um help me help me understand a bit more about how that works so there's private schools there's also public schools but effectively no education how how much coverage do these schools have <laughs> So there are many, many, many private schools. Okay. Um, so as you as you walk around or drive around, you'll see a lot of private schools. But these those particular private schools are operating on a very, very strict sort of no fee, no classroom kind of policy. So if a child, for instance, goes to a school like that and then a parent dies um or becomes ill or whatever so the fees can't be paid the kid will be what felix always calls chased from the school right so then there are uh what they they're called government schools they tend to have i think felix was saying uh upwards of sort of a hundred kids per class okay um there's a problem with uh i i mean it's bit of a tricky one but you know where discipline gets out of control so there's quite a lot of corporal punishment okay uh, in in these schools the actual facilities for learning don't tend to be very good at all okay 
Um, I think it might be different in the rural areas. The material where the school is is right in the centre of the city. So the city has is made up of sort of a number of, um, I mean, the, I guess you'd call them slums, mm. um, with the kind of main body of the city sort of in the middle and then these areas dotted around. So in those areas, you know, the, the kids are very limited in what they have access to. And also be, because of sheer numbers, uh, a private school, it would just, there'd be one covering, you know. A huge area. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, the teaching standards are not very high yep. by all accounts. Um so that is often literally just not an option yeah, yeah. For, for the for the kids, um, especially if they're actually really wanting to get a really decent education yeah. that can then um, sort of send them, Move them on. out into the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I don't want to paint a picture that says university Zambia's um, provision for education is appalling. Yeah. Um, what, what we know is that in this, um, in the poor areas of the capital city, Lusaka, where where we've been, mm. is, there is a huge number of children who don't attend school, yeah. uh, uh, and, but who want to attend school. Yeah. So it's not because they're bunking off. Yeah. It is, um, There's just not provision. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and they fine. can't get access to it. So, okay. so that's the need that Green Park School is meeting. And, and, and how did, I mean, it must be interesting being in a position where there's a demand, but not enough mm -hmm. supply. So how do you select the children who go to Green Park? Well, so there's obviously, we always have spaces for fee-paying children. So there's a number of parents who, if you like, believe and support in the um, mm. principle that their fees can also not only pay for their child's education, but can also go towards paying the fees of a child who's... Yeah. It's like, a, it's, like, it's, like a so, it's like a social enterprise, isn't it? You know, like... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did you think of the interview? So far, so good. It was, wasn't it? Uh, we're going to have more from Mark and Ruth next week, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> you learn that where did you learn <laughs> tis the end like a shakespearean actor no idea tis the end tis the end of another fine podcast of another <laughs> shambolic but good podcast we get a decent amount of listeners now Ooh, so i'm quite we yeah we're doing all right we're doing all right so it's the end of another podcast but as a famous author once said the end is never the end but the beginning of the end. Who said that? I don't know. Nobody, I made it. Just made it up. Um, so uh, we have got okay, to do <laughs> plagiarist. Uh, we just go nicking, nicking stuff. I've started nicking phrases from your. You've got this cool little heart on your yeah, bedroom. It's a chalkboard. It's a chalkboard on your bedroom door, haven't you? Yeah. And I keep on every time you put a phrase, I go a fine philosopher, Chris Dames, once said, and just read whatever you've got on your chalkboard. Um, you, you do it when you find my poems lying around as well. I do. I do. A fine poet, Chris Dames, once said. Okay, Charlotte Dames. <laughs> so, the end is never the end because it's time for. <coughs> 
last week's question this week. It's very true. And last week's question this week is um, was a good one. We have a, we had a decent response on last week's week, week's question this week, and it was. Um, uh, we had a, actually, I say good. It was a bit of a mediocre response, but we'll we'll use it all the same. What's the worst or best chat up line you've ever said, heard, or received? Uh, pick up line. Um, or, <laughs> or, or pick up line, whatever. Now, I've never used a chat up line. I've been with Cassie for, um, I think the official term is donkey's years. Um, so I've ne- actually never used a chat line, I don't think. Um, have you ever used a chat line, Charlotte? Yep. Leah! Yep. Um, uh, what chat line have you used? Um, I think I said the one about NASA last week. Last week? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go on, what, what NASA well, one? Let me ask this question. Um, can I have some of your selfies so I can send them to NASA because they're looking for stars? Oh, God. Anyway... Um, that is slightly better than the ones we received. And let me tell you, there are ones here that uh, range from cheesy to, frankly, insulting. So we'll, uh, we'll go through them. First, uh, Andrew Wibbley said, Do you know much about polar bears? Because I heard they're a good icebreaker. And he'd just start the conversation there. And he said, he said in brackets, we'll let you decide if that's the best or worst. Definitely one of the worst. Um, <laughs> Peter, how much, Co- a, how, how much does a polar bear weigh? Enough to break the ice. Oh god! Peter Ca- Callerman said, "Get your coat. You've scored." <laughs> Route one. Um, uh, John John Cook. Um, he said, "Worst one is that a creepy drunk bloke um, said to me on the tube." I'm really into blind people, uh, which is a bit weird. And uh, uh, he said he hasn't got a best chat-up line, but he did meet Pamela Anderson last year, and Pamela Anderson used to be in a show called Baywatch, which was about um, American men and women who worked as lifeguards. Um, and she was she was a bit of a 90s female icon especially if you were growing up in that period because she was blonde and at the time quite attractive so um pamela anderson said um because uh, uh, john's got a guide dog and uh pamela anderson said sorry your dog's distracting me when he went to meet pamela anderson at this because john loves a convention yeah. doesn't he so um uh, so pamela anderson said sorry your dog's distracting me and John apparently said, "That's all right, love. You've been distracting me for twenty-five years." <laughs> so that was the. Oh. That that was. Apparently, she laughed. I don't know whether I would have done or not. Um, and Roberta White said, "Many, many years ago, uh, but still remember it. The worst was drop them. You're next." Oh, that is weird. Um, and that, my friends, was it for chat blinds. And I think we can unanimously agree that we shouldn't use chat blinds in the future. In actual fact, should we, do you reckon we should ban chat blinds? Nah, because I use them. Go on, what, apart from the stars one, would you use... I know, I usually just Google it. Would you, you Google chat blinds? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And uh, apart from the ones that you Google and the stars one, would you use any of the ones there? No. Not even get your coat, you pulled. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, so on that strangely uh, direct note we'll see you next week